Ronaldo is ready. Strikes. The World Cup is upon us, the biggest sporting event in the entire world. It only happens every four years, and Crossing Broad FC is here to break it all down. We're going to talk about some of the biggest news that's coming out, uh, news that broke overnight. We're recording this Wednesday morning, uh, stuff that broke Tuesday night into Wednesday. Um, big changes uh, for one of the perennial favorites to win the World Cup. Um, we're here to break it down. I'm Russ Joy at Joy on Broad on Twitter, joined as always by Phil Kaidel at Phil Kaidel on Twitter. You know him as a contributor to Crossing Broad, but for those of you who are new to the show, he's also in the past written about world football and Manchester City for Bleacher Report. Phil, it's the uh, most wonderful time of the year. It's very hard not to be excited, Russ. Good morning. Uh, the World Cup, obviously, as you pointed out, doesn't come around often enough, but at some level it comes around on a perfect cycle because the anticipation builds and builds, and we are now literally hours away from World Cup 2018 starting. And I just can't wait for the American... Oh, no. What? Oh, the Americans are out of it. Okay, never mind. Uh, I'm not that Well, on a positive note, you know, you could root for your nationality, root for your ethnicity. So I'm very excited to uh, cheer on Forza Asuri for Italy. Oh, they're not. They're not in it either. It's not going great, but we're going to come back. We're going to bounce back from this and we're going to find a way to make people interested in the World Cup. I know they're out there. Yeah. Um, so we, we were kind of bantering a little bit before we got we came on air about just the way that the, the FIFA rankings work. So there's 32 teams in the World Cup. I think anybody who's listening to this knows this, but for those of you who, for some reason, stumbled upon this podcast and were unaware, there's 32 teams in the World Cup uh, being played in Russia this year. And it's not the 32 best teams in the world. Uh, there was a, um, a rather complicated set of qualifying matches and everything that's been played over the last year. Uh, a lot of friendlies thrown in in between. And ultimately, what you get is this kind of odd hodgepodge of nations, uh, including an automatic bid for the host nation, Russia, who, by the way, in the FIFA rankings, as it currently stands, are ranked number 70th. That's with a 7-0 in the world. And yet, they are one of the 32 teams. Uh, other bottom-of-the-barrel teams, I guess, Saudi Arabia is uh, number 67. They qualified for the World Cup. Nigeria at 48. That'll come in handy in uh, 2026 when the field expands. South Korea is 57. Panama, 55. Japan is 61. These are all teams that, you know, if, if the FIFA rankings meant anything, certainly would not have even remotely come close to sniffing this World Cup. But uh, qualification is what it is. And oddly enough, the U.S. men's national team, who, uh, you know, put in one of the most underwhelming performances and qualification they're ranked 25th in the world they are not in the world cup other teams that were notable that people are used to i think cheering for uh chile who has you know a plethora of you know star players and and guys that you know if you're walking around a an elementary a middle a high school or uh you know just going past whatever going in the mall you'll see kids wearing an arturo vidal jersey you'll see an alexis sanchez jersey well those guys aren't going to be represented they are number nine in the world in the FIFA rankings. They will not be playing in this World Cup. And, of course, it's the team that I typically would root for, if it were not for the U.S., uh, is Italy. And they're 19th in the world, and they are not going to be at the World Cup. So very strange kind of set of circumstances. But, you know, it's FIFA, and FIFA is a very complicated beast, and this is a rather convoluted process. Well, what FIFA would tell you is, and I think I've heard this said before, 
by virtue of eliminating some of the better teams rather randomly in qualifying rounds, they make it a more broad product. In other words, if you just limited it to the top 32 teams in the world, pretty clearly the concentration of South American and European teams would be such that almost no African team would ever make it. Uh, Rarely would a team from CONCACAF make it. So, yeah, by being in a situation where Chile and Italy find their way out, you permit other teams in. Now, of course, that argument falls completely by the wayside when you expand the field from 32 to 48, because now it's just everybody gets in the draw at that point. So, at least with this World Cup, yes, um, you have great teams who are on the outside looking in. I'm not counting the United States in that analysis. What it really functionally does, though, is eliminate some of the randomness of what you might get. Because if some of the teams that were eliminated who are really strong were in this field, man, there'd be almost no way to know who's going to get to the end of this. But by the time we're done previewing this World Cup, I think we're going to agree, uh, along with many other pundits, it's essentially a five or six team race to see who's going to win this championship. And, you know, we, we've discussed in the past that, you know, Fox went and, and probably outbid themselves for the rights to this World Cup. And one of the things that they were obviously really honing in on was being able to bring in enough talent in front of the camera that, you know, had ties to the U.S. men's national team. And once the U.S. was eliminated, it became clear that they needed to figure out, they needed to kind of pivot to a new marketing campaign. And part of that was, you know, boosting up the profile of Mexico, El Tri. And uh, they began to kind of roll out this idea of following for stars. So you would see Ronaldo and Messi and and ads that were kind of targeted at, you know, play root for the best players and for their teams. And then there was also this little bit of a, you know, roll with your ethnicity kind of thing. And and that's fine. But, you know, again, you know, while it's it's nice in a sense to be able to see some teams that you wouldn't normally see play in a World Cup, um, it's very disappointing when you think of, you know, in terms of uh, people's roots in the United States. Italy is, I I would assume, a top three ethnicity in the country, at least in our area. It certainly is. And for them not to be involved in any way is a massive blow to Mexico and to anybody, or to Fox or Mexico. Uh, but yeah, to Fox or any of the uh, the U.S.-based uh, providers or, or people that are covering the cup. I mean, even if uh, you're covering this at a glance from NBC or from ESPN and you're just trying to attract some viewers to your um, concurrent coverage with it, you know, whether it's the ESPN Plus app or, or whatever, you know, it, it certainly does not help to see, you know, some of these other big teams that, you know, people are used to kind of rooting on star players or, or teams of, you know, where their parents or grandparents are from and they're not here and it makes it all that much more difficult. And you have to wonder at some point if Fox is kind of kicking themselves for bidding on this coverage. But we'll see. We don't know what the ratings are yet. We'll be kind of recapping that kind of stuff uh, in the next few weeks. And I guess a programming note, uh, we were just talking before we got started that, you know, we're probably looking at instead of this being a once a week podcast um, for an hour plus, we're probably going to be switching this up a little bit where after, you know, X amount of days after match days, whatever, we might record a 15, 20 minute podcast here and there uh, just to kind of recap any big news that's broken around the World Cup uh, and especially in you know massive matches that we've been looking forward to in this group stage and moving forward. So a lot of exciting stuff. Is is there anything in sports that gets you more excited than the World Cup? Where does it rank um, in, in your overall view of uh, events that you look forward to? I actually prefer the Champions League final. Uh, I know that that's... Uh, 
betraying my preference for the highest level of club soccer versus the highest level of international soccer. And it's interesting you asked me that question because I was thinking about this issue even before we got on the air, and we did not discuss the possibility that that question would be posed to me. Um, I think part of this is because I'm such a United States homer and because the United States has never really had a team that could do anything other than possibly survive the group stage and maybe make a little bit of noise in the knockout rounds, but has never been a serious threat in my lifetime to win a World Cup. It's hard for me, for the reasons you've already elaborated on, to buy in 100% on a World Cup tournament, whereas you know, you choose your club, and in my case, I've chosen a club, Manchester City, that you know, for the last four or five years has won its share of league titles, has made noise in the Champions League, hasn't made a final yet, but there's time. Uh, and on top of that, you're watching the very best players in the world playing together. As you're going to hear in the analysis we do, and you know, most people know this already, this World Cup is about groups of players who share the same nationality, but not anywhere near the same level of talent. Um, very often, you'll have a club like Egypt that is essentially a one-man show. It's Mo Salah, who is one of the top, what, 15 players in the world right now? Maybe 10, maybe 5, I don't know. And then he's playing with 10 other players on the pitch at the same time who really don't belong out there with him. And that replicates itself throughout the draw in this tournament. So, yeah, give me a Champions League final ahead of the World Cup. That's not to say I don't appreciate the World Cup for what it is, but uh, my enthusiasm for it isn't the same. All right, so let's get into uh, each group, and we'll kind of give the uh, the world ranking of where each of these teams are to kind of give... Uh, listeners who may or may not have you know, been following all of the uh, qualifying coverage and such, uh, an idea of how these groups will likely break. So let's start with uh, Group A. That is uh, Russia, Uruguay, Egypt, and Saudi Arabia. They are, uh, Russia is number 70, Uruguay is number 14. They're easily the favorites to get out of this group. Egypt is number 45 with Mohamed Salah, who you just mentioned, and Saudi Arabia is number 67. So uh, let's, I guess, kind of touch on you know, what we expect from this group, I think, you know, based on ranking and based on star power, we would certainly expect Uruguay and Egypt to get out. Um, but there has been a little bit of momentum recently kind of getting behind, you know, the importance of the home crowd. Maybe Russia has a chance to uh, get out of the group. How do you see this one, you know, playing out? Well, again, Russia is a betting favorite to get out of this group. And you shouldn't live your life based on betting favorites, because if you did, uh, the Patriots would have won the most recent Super Bowl, and nobody would have been very happy with that. But on a talent analysis, there's no way Russia should be getting out of this group, and yet most people seem to believe that they will. They are home, which helps a lot, but I think the other piece you have here is that there may be forces at work, and I'm not going to get into specifics because I don't know, but I think the common sense belief here is that Russia will find a way through and into the knockout stage because first of all it's not a very strong group and secondly it's in the best interest of just about everybody involved in this tournament for Russia to stick around at least through the group stage and that's really all I have to say about that wow okay so you think uh, Vladimir Putin to quote uh, Steven Seagal is going to be showing up and uh, asserting his dominance. Will he ride out on a horse? Will he wear a shirt? These are things that we don't know, but they'll certainly bring some intrigue. Um, I could see your- I could see Russia scoring a three to four yard offside goal 
in their third match <laughs> to secure uh, it, their way into the next round. And of course, uh, there was a press conference recently where uh, FIFA explained that they had instructed their officials not to call tight offsides because obviously once a play is blown dead for offside, it can't continue. Uh, whereas conceivably, uh, things can be reviewed if play goes on. So, yeah, this is going to be wild. Um, Which I think, by the way, is the the better way to go. We've never really talked about the use of VAR um, in like the Bundesliga and in other leagues where it's it's been implemented. But the the presence of having the uh, video assistant referee, um, you know, available to examine calls, I, I do think that it's the smarter way for. FIFA to uh, you know kind of get the word through to the to the referees uh, in a way to officiate, and you're right. Like if if a if a you know if if you're calling offsides too tightly, you know it could become a little bit problematic. It's better for for you to let the play go on and then you know after the fact be able to go back and review it than to call it dead outright. You know once you've called it offside, uh, the play is is blown dead. So there's there's no chance of seeing what could have been. Now, obviously, that's going to cause some problems because anybody who's going to be betting on the World Cup, you know, at, at any moment, you could see a very, uh, a massive swing um, in terms of like money being put down and people thinking that, you know, they may have just uh, executed on the over of a of a wager and uh, for to only get called back. And, you know, I do think it's going to get a little bit messy, especially, you know, knowing that offside is going to be something that's going to be reviewable. Um wouldn't there be anything worse? I mean, imagine if you're Russia uh, and you get an early goal on Uruguay or something, or like you're you're down in the last five minutes of the match, you manage to tie it up, and a tie puts you through, and you know it turns out the ref let let an offside go, and the and they go to VAR, and uh, it gets called back, and Russia gets knocked out of the World Cup because of the video uh, review. That would be uh, that'd certainly be something. I find it beyond remarkable that they chose this tournament to be the first major world tournament where they're going to put the video assistant review in play. It's not like that surprising. Yeah, there wasn't a Euro tournament they could have done. There wasn't, um, yeah. No, they figured there's so many hidden cameras around Russia anyway that it just makes sense to hack into them and use them to their benefit. Oh, man, now you just introduced another variable, which is what happens if the VAR can't be trusted. I don't want to think about that. Uh, anyway, uh, let's, uh, I, I think, safe to say, we think Uruguay and Egypt are going through. You, yeah, I think Salah if even, throw if money play the, even if Salah doesn't play the first match, I think Egypt has enough talent to go through. I'm going against the betting trend of Russia. I don't think Russia's getting out of this group. I think it'll be Uruguay and Egypt, and Russia will be, uh, if not the happiest host, uh, then still have been well rep- represented. Uh, I noted uh, in our show prep, it's not a coincidence that they're opening the tournament against Saudi Arabia, who is effectively one of the worst teams in the draw, along with themselves. And so you have Russia playing home to Saudi Arabia, which should be three points. Yep. Now, the problem is after that, they have to get results against Egypt and Uruguay, and I just don't see that happening. It will be interesting, though, especially because we know that Egypt and Uruguay are going to play each other to start off. I would certainly expect that if Salah is out, Egypt's going to have to take a full bunker mentality and just try to you know, get the draw against Uruguay. You certainly can't concede three points there, especially knowing that Russia could very easily start off with three points of their own. So um, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, let's move on to Group B. That, of course, is Portugal, Spain, Morocco, and Iran. Uh, currently, their rankings in FIFA uh, are Portugal is fourth in the world, Spain is 10th, Iran is 37th, and Morocco is 41st. Coming off, by the way, poor Morocco, coming off of the uh, the loss uh, 
in the uh, World Cup 2026 bid. I'm sure that's going to uh, carry on to the pitch. Very unfortunate for them. There is absolutely no shot, I would assume, that either Iran or Morocco uh, can escape this group. But of course, Spain had to go and make it a little bit interesting. And and my favorite club team, Real Madrid, had to go and uh, really screw everything up. Uh, Defend your club, Russ. I'm I'm calling you out. Defend your club. You've been on this show. I'm sorry to yell at you. No, yell at me. Yell at me. It's the morning. Go ahead. But in all seriousness, you've been defending this club of yours, this beloved Real Madrid of yours, for nigh on months, talking about how they are essentially the platinum standard of world football and your three repeat Champions League titles and you're this and you're that. Unprecedented in the modern era. Great. Tell me how it's okay that Real Madrid poaches the Spanish national team coach, not officially, but effectively, by announcing his hire three days before the beginning of the World Cup, okay, and essentially directly causing Spain to fire Lopetegui. And now Real Madrid is, of course, going to say, well, it's not our fault. We never could have foreseen that Spain would react this way. We just wanted everybody to know what we had this great manager hire. No, that's disgraceful. Real Madrid had to forestall this announcement until Spain were out of the tournament. Defend yourself and explain Real Madrid's actions. Go. So I've got a few ways to, to look at this, I guess. Um, you know, on, on one hand, I think it makes a lot of sense for Real to want to go out and, uh, and announce, uh, this signing because, you know, we had talked about prior that we didn't know what kind of manager, uh, Real Madrid was going to be able to get. And when you rolled out a lot of the biggest names in Europe, you just weren't sure if any of them were going to either be interested or if it was something that was going to be a match with Real Madrid. Obviously, like Carlo Ancelotti wasn't going to be making a comeback. We talked in the past about Massimiliano Allegri. We talked about Antonio Conte. We talked about a lot of guys. And and, and I said, I, I hoped and prayed that it would not be Arsene Wenger. So, um, you know, while we had talked in the past about Bayern Munich making a very um, under-the-radar hire, and certainly a much smaller name than we had expected. You know, poaching the national team manager in Spain was a great hire in in um, in theory. And I think on one hand, if you're Real Madrid, you're trying to, uh, you know, really kind of hype up the fact that, that this guy is the national team manager. You're trying to, uh, I, I don't know, throw support behind him in, in a way. Um, but it was stupid. The timing is bad. I mean, selfishly for a club, it's great timing because it, it looks like, you know, if if somebody's upset that you didn't go out and get one of these big club team managers, you know, you could say, well, we took we took the Spanish national team's manager. You know, uh, there's there's no bigger honor in Spain than to uh, to manage the national team. The problem, of course, and and I, you know, when explaining this to my wife this morning, the first thing that was at, that came out of her mouth was, well, it just seems petty, and she was kind of citing, you know, that she's right that. I, I think that Spain is in the wrong here, in a sense. Like, I think Real screwed this up, and there's no doubt. But, you know, on, on one hand, I've been listening all week to uh, American Fiasco with uh, Roger Bennett from Men and Blazers, right, about the 94-98 the World Cup teams. Um, and one of the things that, you know, he kind of had touched on in uh, the buildup to the 98 World Cup for the U.S. men's national team is, you know, late changes in lineups and a total shift in mentality of, of coaching uh, when Steve Sampson went from being, you know, just a guy to the interim manager to the full manager, you know, there was a total mindset change, but more to, you know, the the late tactical changes of going from a 3-6-1 and, and changing personnel and all that. I mean, Spain kind of just, in, in a sense, screwed themselves because like all, all it really does at this point 
is it throws your team into a little bit of a free fall, right? Like you would think that these guys are professional enough to be able to go out and execute a game plan. They know how to play with each other. And I would assume that the new manager isn't going to make wide sweeping changes to either personnel, even though Cesc Fabregas had tweeted out that uh, maybe he would get a call up now. Um, and I can't imagine that tactically they're going to be any different. It would it would be stupid for them to do so. But the cynic in me says, man, you know, maybe this is Spain kind of hedging. Maybe this is Spain knowing that, you know, even though they had an impressive run under this guy, maybe they're trying to build in an excuse. I mean, if they win the whole thing, it's in spite of the fact that they fired their manager. And if they lose, they can blame it on this manager. They can blame it on Real Madrid. And, you know, I, I fully expect Germany to win. I'm, I'm not buying into the Brazil hype machine yet. So I, I think, in a sense, Spain have insulated themselves here. Uh, but I do think it was petty, and I think it's st- stupidly timed. I think both sides are in the wrong here. And ultimately, the guy who gets caught in the crosshairs uh, is the manager. Conversely, Real Madrid threw the Spanish national team under the nearest moving conveyance with prejudice. Here's the story. They hire Lopetegui now. He's the Spanish national team coach when they hire him, right? In that way, they insulate themselves against him having a bad tournament or Spain going out early or, or whatnot, because at that point, they've got him on, they've hired him, and if Spain goes out early, Real Madrid can spin it as, well, you know, he obviously had his eye on the club and not as much on the national team, and so that's how it went. And if Lopetegui had stayed with the Spanish national team and taken them deep into the tournament, which there was great hope that he would do, Real Madrid could say, we're geniuses. Uh, We got this guy uh, before he even further burnished his credentials. So Real Madrid put themselves in a win-win situation at the complete expense of Spain, because the only way this gets right for the Spanish men's national team is if they lose in the final or win the thing overall, despite the fact that they're going to have an interim manager running the team, which they found out about like 48 hours before the first ball they're going to kick. It's a disgrace. Yeah, I mean, there, I saw a conspiracy theory out there that uh, Lopetegui's, um, his manager, his uh, his agent is Portuguese. And the thought that, you know, maybe this uh, kind of pushed through, uh, you know, we thought Portugal was going to advance anyway, but maybe it uh, kind of cleared out Portugal's path just a little bit more to, uh, you know, finishing first in the group. I know it's stupid and it's a dumb conspiracy theory, but I liked it nonetheless. I'm a big fan of stupid conspiracy theories. So here we are. Um, so anyway, Portugal uh, certainly will go through, as will Spain. Morocco and Iran, thanks for playing. Uh, see you in a, in four years, I guess, maybe, if you're lucky. Let's move on to Group C. France, Australia, Peru, and Denmark. Uh, world rankings for each of these clubs. Uh, France is seventh in the world, uh, full of a star-studded team that we'll get to in a moment. Uh, Peru is 11th, Denmark is 12th, and Australia 36th. So one through three, if we throw Australia out, which I, I think is pretty fair to do, Uh, Between France, Peru, and Denmark, it is not a massive disparity, at least in terms of FIFA rankings, although, obviously, the biggest name, stars, and the, you know, uh, talent-for-talent shift here, or the talent-for-talent level, is certainly on the side of France. Peru and Denmark are very close, but I I guess you can, in in a sense, bunch these three teams up, especially considering France's kind of poor form in recent World Cups. Well, at the risk of enraging our Peruvian listeners, I don't think, despite the world rankings at Peru, belong in the discussion with Denmark and France at this point. Um, Peru was really close to being in deep trouble in this tournament. Uh, but, of course, pa- Paulo Guerrero escaped his FIFA ban. So he's going to play after all. But 
I don't see Peru getting the results they need against Denmark and France to get out of this group. Um, I don't consider this the group of death. Uh, I named another of the groups, which we will get to later, uh, the group of death this year, although I would consider this group a fairly close runner-up, and maybe I'm selling Peru a little bit short. Uh, but for me, when you're talking about Pogba and Griezmann and, and the others who play for France, and you got Christian Eriksen leading Denmark, I mean, these are elite talents beyond anything Peru can offer, and certainly beyond anything the Flamin' Socceroos can offer. So, yes, the French and the Danes for me. So I, I just I know that you're kind of waxing poetic there about uh, the the team that France is going to roll out, but you know I, I don't think we need to look much farther than uh, just over the weekend. It was on the ninth in Paris, by the way. Uh, the U.S. men's national team, who by the way we've mentioned ad nauseum at this point, did not qualify for the World Cup. Uh, the U.S. sent out a young squad featuring good old Julian Green. Uh, if nothing else, we now know that in World Cup years, he's going to score a massive goal that is of the utmost importance to the U.S. men's national team in the month of June. Julian Green scored an early goal. Uh, it was a team that featured a lot of young guys. They actually ran out a 5-3-2 formation for that match. And um, France kind of rolled out, I, I would assume, what's going to be their starting lineup. I mean, you had Mbappe, you had Giroud, you had uh, Antoine Griezmann, Paul Pogba, Matuidi, Kante, Varane, um, Umtiti, uh, even Loris in goal. They rolled out what's probably going to be their starting lineup for the World Cup. And this young upstart, you know, hodgepodge of misfit toys that the U.S. rolled out in France uh, were, you know, 12 minutes away from pulling off an improbable 1-0 victory. So uh, I don't know if this is France going through the motions. I don't know if this was just a U.S. team that was kind of desperate to, uh, you know, kind of, solidify their position going forward or at least to uh, kind of make a pitch to uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation President uh, Carlos Cudero or if if they're looking um, you know going forward that they they really wanted to kind of you know put themselves on the world stage I mean obviously there are going to be plenty of teams that are going to be watching uh, these these warm-up games and certainly some of these young Americans may have played their way into uh, you know some kind of relevance or played themselves not onto a European club necessarily but at least into the mind of some scouts um France, I, I think, is just a team that is a perennial, uh, you know, underachiever. And until I see them, you know, really sweep out the group, uh, I'm not going to be a big believer. Do they have great talent? Of course they do. I just named nine of their starters, many of whom I would assume are people that, you know, the casual soccer fan would even recognize. Or if you've played FIFA at any point in your life, you're at least going to know Mbappe, Giroud, Pogba, Griezmann, probably Varane if you played with Real Madrid, and Matuidi from his years in, in uh, PSG. I mean, they, they have so much talent, but are they going to be able to put it together? I'm not so sure. As usual, Russ, the truth is always somewhere in the middle. Uh, I'm not picking France to win the World Cup, but they're much better than you're suggesting. Um, I know that they've had their foibles and their troubles before, but just based on the, the names you reeled off there and the talent they have... Uh, they're getting through this group very, very easily, and they are going to go relatively deep in this tournament. I'm, I'm thinking semifinal for France. Um, as for this uh, friendly result that you just mentioned, um, France's performance against the United States in Paris uh, reminded me of the Philadelphia Eagles' performance against the Dallas Cowboys at the link in Week 17. Everybody's looking around at themselves like, it's a shame we have to play this game because we don't want to get hurt, and we have much, much bigger things to worry about than this thing in front of us. 
And so were they going through the motions? I would dare say they were less than going through the motions because going through the motions suggested that they had any interest or belief or need to try to get a result. France was trying not to get hurt in that match. Well, then don't and roll course, out your starting lineup. And then it's dumb. Like you're, well, you're more likely, I agree with you. I mean, I you're more likely put... to get one of your guys hurt. You know, if, if you're not fully engaged in the match, you're lucky, you know, you're lucky to get out of that without, you know, some kind of an injury from a guy lollygagging down the field against, you know, again, a, a young, hungry American kid. You know, those guys weren't going to go through the motions. You just set, you know, some of your best players up for, you know, potential injury or potential disaster. Listen, and then man, I didn't name the French nation, 11. It's dumb. I didn't name the French 11. You're making it like it's about me. It is. I'm you. sure. I know I'm that, sure that, that they, you were in his ear. I know I'm sure that they picked they, the French eleven was picked for many of the reasons you've already touched on, which is you know, a lot of times in these tournaments we're not as sharp as we need to be, so we have to take this seriously, and so we're going to send a message to these players that they need to be ready from the moment the World Cup starts. And so, yeah, let's send them out against the Americans. We've got a nice confidence building win at home, and it'll be great. The problem is that managers and uh, you know internet, pardon me, national team management personnel think one thing the players are the ones that have to go and do it and if you're killing Mbappe what is in it for you to be sprinting in that match are you kidding so no I think it was a silliness for France to put all of those guys out there and the fact that none of them got hurt is actually a blessing and after this podcast and after the first ball is kicked in the World Cup no one will ever remember that Julian Green scored a goal for the United States and friendly against France that led to a 1-1 draw it's essentially dust in the wind I'll never forget it um, I'm really quick, um, since we said that we think that Peru doesn't really necessarily belong here, but they are close enough in Denmark and ranking, uh, let me just go on the record. I think Peru is going to go through. I think that the reinstatement of their captain, Paulo Guerrero, is going to be big, and I think they're going to kind of ride that as a bit of momentum. Uh, to get out of the, groups, the group stage, I don't know how many points they'll get. It might be close between them and Denmark. I do think they'll get through and they'll get slaughtered uh, in the round of 16, so that, that would be my, my guess going forward. Um, let's continue our, our stroll around the World Cup. Group D, Argentina, Iceland, Croatia, and Nigeria. Um, you know, obviously, going into this, uh, anybody who knows anything about soccer knows uh, that Argentina is going to feature one of the most star-studded clubs, featuring, of course, the likes of Lionel Messi. Uh, Croatia, if you have been a fan of European football for a while, uh, obviously, you've got like the Luka Modric's of the world. Iceland was a, uh, a World Cup darling four years ago. Um, a lot of people got behind them. I guess that was kind of akin to the way that, you know, casual fans and hockey fans got behind the Vegas Golden Knights this year. It just seemed like a really cool underdog story. And of course, everybody liked the uh, Iceland skull clap. And uh, that kind of leads you on to uh, Nigeria, who don't really belong in this World Cup. They're 48th in the world. Um, I don't know, maybe they'll be able to steal a point here or there. But ultimately, this looks like a group that Argentina should dominate. Croatia, I would expect to get through, and Iceland, you know, while there are still going to be some fond memories from a few years ago, I, I don't see much of a way for Iceland to get out of this group. I do think that Croatia, eventually, you know, they're going to control the midfield, and I think they're going to be able to kind of pound their way through. Argentina is just a little bit of a mess, in a sense, insofar as their midfield is great. They have fantastic strikers. They've got Aguero out top, but their problem, and I think it's always been their problem, is they have a little bit of a liability defensively, and I don't think their their goalkeeper is world class. I think if if you were able to shore up even goaltending, um, if you were able to have a a guy who's I don't know, like let's say if they're not in the top tier, then then just below it, I think they'd be fine. But I I don't think they have that quality in net. Will that cost them a game? 
maybe not. Um, but you know, if I'm trying to, to handicap this field and I'm trying to figure out, you know, who I really think is a legitimate cup contender, it is not Argentina. They've got all the talent in the world, but their star, their big star, Lionel Messi, who it seems like walks away from the national team after every world cup failure he has. Uh, I think this will be his last world cup. And I think it will end once again in heartbreak when he does not step up in, in the big moment. Uh, the way that his nemesis, Cristiano Ronaldo, tends to do on this international stage. How do you, uh, I, I know that I always put you, uh, you know, in this You were in messy, such a hurry. This, me- this messy Ronaldo thing. You were in like such a hurry again. To, to hit another boot into Messi's head. You were in such a hurry to get there that you dropped the ball and forgot your own shtick. Nigeria are ranked 48th in the world. Yep. Iceland is ranked 22nd in the world. Croatia is 20th. I said this already. No, you did not. Yes, I did. Times are fifth. Well, you know what? Then you'll have to accept. I think I did. Maybe, maybe I didn't. I don't know. I I talk a lot. Why would I have gone to the rankings and read them off if I had heard you said them? Yeah, unlike you, like I listen when you speak. I listen when you speak. Why are we getting so contentious? See, this is Messi's fault. We would have been (laughs) fine, but once again, Lionel Messi divides and tries to conquer. But luckily, see, I disagree. He's wearing the Argentine national team jersey. He will not conquer. It's again the taint and the stink of your Real Madrid allegiance that causes everything to go, frankly, in the dumper. Look, um, everybody wants to blame Lionel Messi for Argentina's failures in previous World Cups. Look, if it were a one-on-one tournament, Argentina would win every year. But he's got to play with the players that come with him. And it pains me to say this as much of a Sergio Aguero fan as I am. But... You know, the thought that Messi and Aguero were on the same national team all this time and never did anything is pretty much an indictment of Aguero. I hate to say it. He's a wonderful club player. Nationally, Why? he hasn't been good enough. Um, Why is it an indictment of Aguero? I don't understand that. I, I want your logic behind it. Because I think I think they can both share responsibility, but I don't think it's just Aguero. Ronaldo has played with great players, and Messi has played with great players. And Ronaldo has won, and Messi has lost. By that logic, Aguero, who is one of the great players that Messi has played with, hasn't done enough and hasn't carried his share of the load. I I do not accept this thought that uh, Messi, because Argentina has never won the World Cup with him leading them, is a lesser player or uh, a lesser talent or will have some kind of tarnish on his, uh, you know, legacy. I I don't approve of that. I don't agree with it. I won't stand for it. I mean, again, this tournament is a situation you're playing, you're limited playing with the players you have based on your nationality, and it's a very short tournament. You, you you play seven matches to win this tournament. That is not a real assessment or analysis of your greatness. Um, so that's where I go with this. I, I would have liked to have seen Sergio Aguero do more in the last couple of World Cups to help Messi, and he didn't do it. I mean, I'm just going to say, Phil, that uh, maybe maybe it is the Real Madrid homer in me, but I'm trying to think of what legitimate stud uh, Ronaldo's been playing with at the national team level the last few years, especially when they won the last Euro tournament. Like it, nothing nothing pops to my mind. I mean, he's he's had guys like Pepe, who you know I think I'm pretty sure they're rolling out Pepe as a starting center back on this this club, which is certainly not something that you would want to build the core of your defense around at this point. I honestly can't think of uh, what exceptional talent he's played with. When I look at this Argentina squad, anything less than a Final Four appearance is a disappointment. I mean, let, let's just go through some names really quick. Gonzalo Higuain, 
Paulo Dybala, who's supposed to, you know, I guess theoretically take the mantle for Messi, and Sergio Aguero, who we've mentioned. Um, all those guys play at uh, massive clubs. Dybala and Higuain, both at Juventus. Sergio Aguero, as you mentioned, at, at Manchester City. Um, in the midfield, you know, Angel Di Maria, say what you want to say about him, but I, I still think he's got a lot of quality. Plays for PSG. Um, they're a team that has some studs on it. I mean, even in defense, right? The Marcus Rojos of the world who have been playing for United. Um, the Otamendis playing for City. This this club has a lot of star-studded talent. I mean, they, they've got guys that I would argue are better than what Ronaldo has to work with in Portugal. And I, I know that I throw a lot of shade at Messi. I obviously know that he is the best overall soccer player in the world. I don't think there's any doubt. I don't think there's any doubt at this point that he is and has been the best overall player. I will always say that going into one game, I would rather have Ronaldo because I think he has the killer's mentality. And I think in one game, he has more of an impact in the the biggest moments than than Messi does. But if Messi, after you know quitting, I mean, this is a thing that I, it seems like a lot of, of pundits and people who cover national teams seem to kind of gloss over. But, you know, in, in 2014, when Argentina was eliminated from the World Cup, Messi almost immediately after, almost shades of Gareth Bale and Cristiano Ronaldo after this last Champions League final, Messi came out and and pretty much put his uh, put the wooden stake through the heart of the Argentine national team and said he would not be coming back, that he was done with his international career. And it's Messi, I don't think, has ever been really considered to be a prima donna. That, to me, was like a prima donna move. And I think we all knew that because of his age and because of his talent and because ultimately... You know, it's going to burn a, a hole in your brain. It's going to burn a hole in your heart as well, knowing that you never were able to bring that World Cup trophy home to your to your nation. You know, there was going to be a, a time that he was going to feel the need to come back for 2018. And here he is. I mean, he's still young enough that if he wanted to, he could come back in 2022. Um, I, I just think at some point for his legacy, will he go down as the greatest soccer player of all time? Possibly. He'll definitely go down as the best of his generation, the best overall talent. But you do have to kind of question if he doesn't if he doesn't come through in this World Cup, which they're not a favorite. But if he doesn't come through, and the Dybalas of the world step up for the next World Cup cycle, and Messi has the the option, perhaps to switch his role. I think it was Iniesta. There was somebody recently who came out and said that if Messi switched to a holding midfield role, he would be the best in the world. Maybe as Messi, you know, starts to wind down his club career in however many years, if it's four, if it's eight, whatever. Perhaps that's a role that he decides to take on with the national team. Maybe that's how he transition his transitions uh, and, and kind of passes the torch to this younger generation of Argentine players. I don't know. But I do think that Messi's legacy um, rides a little bit on his performance in this World Cup and what he ultimately chooses to do at the international level. And it might just be me. It might just be me being incredibly cynical. But I, I do think that he needs to deliver on the international stage and get this team not, not just out of the, the group stage, but I think... They really do have to get to a semifinal for this to be a success. Well, that's fine. I don't want to argue this too much further or beat it into the ground. I think Messi has unfairly been held responsible for the fragility of his teammates in prior World Cups. I think his reaction to failing in the last World Cup tournament and suggesting that he was finished with international football was an honest response to an unfair and obscene amount of pressure that is on his shoulders every time he puts on the Argentine national shirt and a realization that probably as great as he is, he's not 
great enough to carry the players he has with him to that championship. I was also reminded this morning, uh, listening to the radio, and I don't remember who it was, but they made the comment that, you know, the last time Kobe Bryant won an NBA title in Game 7, he shot 6 for 24 from the field. But he's marked down as a winner because his teammates did enough to get him across the line. In the 2014 World Cup Final, Ronaldo didn't do much of anything, but they won, and so he's marked down as a winner. And all we talk about is Ronaldo wins this, that, and the other thing. Look, Ronaldo has also been carried to Champions League uh, titles in finals. See also this year. I and, just and his can't team, you take. Know, I can't to, to take this point. narrative. I can't take this narrative that because Messi's Argentine national team hasn't won a World Cup that he's a lesser player because that's just nonsense. Well, I don't think anybody's saying that he's a lesser player. That's not what I'm saying. I I can acknowledge his individual brilliance. I would never try to take that away from him. I'm just saying that in terms of his ultimate legacy, I mean, there have been guys that have been considered their generational talent and have been able to perform at the international level. So it's it's not to put down Messi. It's just saying that, you know, I would like to see him be able to step up and, and get this team across the finish line. And yeah, you'll, when you look at how star-studded this team is and the amount of talent they have in the attack, there's no reason that they shouldn't be able to advance farther in this tournament. And yes, if Messi goes out and puts on a Herculean effort, He's scoring goals at a ridiculous pace, or he's setting up goals at a ridiculous rate, and they get out of the group stage, and then in the round of 16, he's shouldering the load, and everyone else has just fallen off and and looks dazed and confused, then absolutely. like I I think then that'll be a fair critique to have of that national team. You're making me do this. I don't want to do this, but you're making me do this. You can't have it both ways. You can't say that Argentina is so loaded and they have all this attacking talent, but then also note that there are like five other or fail to note, I should say, that there are five other nations in this tournament who are significantly more talented than Argentina. And you're just, like, blowing that aside. Belgium is better than Argentina on a strictly talent level, and Belgium's not considered a favorite by anyone's standards. They're always considered France is the significantly dark better than Argentina. Individual Brazil is talent. significantly better than Argentina. Yeah, I would say Brazil is. Uh, France, I think, individual talent-wise, yes. But again, like this kind of comes back to what we were saying before. I, I'm not so convinced that they can put it together on on the. Uh, I mean, Portugal is the best player in the stage. world. Portugal is the best player in the world, Russ. Like, how can we not pick them ahead of Argentina? So you can't have it both ways. You can't say they're like unbelievably talented and Messi falls short by not carrying this great squad to a win, but then kind of like undersell the fact that yeah, actually his team's not really that good because they're not. I'm glad I got you mad. I still love you. Animated. All right. Uh, Group E, let's move on. Um, Group E's got Brazil, who you just mentioned, Switzerland, Costa Rica, Serbia. Uh, Each of these teams, uh, Brazil is second in the world in the FIFA rankings. Switzerland, oddly enough, is number six, which seems way higher than it should be. Costa Rica at 23, Serbia at 34. Obviously, Brazil goes through. The the main thing with Brazil is going to be, can they shake off that 7-1 to embarrassment that they put up against Germany four years ago and it's something that has certainly kind of been hanging over their team as a as a massive black cloud and it's something that ultimately I I don't know like I would assume that there there's no chance that they don't get out of this I mean they are you know essentially multiple ACL tears or multiple Sergio Ramos separated shoulder tackles from the stands away from I guess you know being in jeopardy but realistically Brazil should be moving on without a doubt and they should be moving on pretty deep into this tournament. But, you know, if they are matched up in another round against Germany, you would have to think 
that there's going to be some kind of mind game being played. And it's something that has not been forgotten uh, in both the Brazilian media and with the, with the uh, Brazilian fan base. Um, do, do you think that there's any kind of the stink that still lingers over that 7-1 drubbing in the last World Cup? Or do you think at this point it's a different group of players and, and they've been ready to move on? It's a metaphor I use a lot, but in baseball they say that momentum is today's starting pitcher, and it's been four years. It's not the exact same Brazil team, although there are enough holdovers that those guys will remember what happened to them four years ago. But it's also a Brazil team that is four years better, for lack of a better phrase. I mean, Gabriel Jesus is uh, coming into his own as one of the stars in international soccer. He wasn't that good four years ago. Um, Neymar say what you will about him and it's amazing you you want to kill Messi left and right Neymar gets a pass but anyway he's back from injury he's rested and he's got a chance to uh, imprint himself and put himself back into the conversation among the world's best players Willian, Coutinho, Paulinho this is a Champions League all-star team that Brazil runs out so yeah, if they play Germany in the knockout stage and they get down 2-0, sure, they'll be thinking about losing 7-1. But until that happens, I think the Brazilians are going to swagger into this tournament as the favorites and perform as such until such time as somebody punches them in the nose. All right. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. I don't think there's, there's any kind of intrigue uh, outside of just knowing that they're likely going to go through. Now, the Swiss, I guess, are the interesting team. Um, they've got Shakiri, Licksteiner. Um, Ricardo Rodriguez. These are all um, these are all guys that you know. I, I think at least in the case of Licksteiner and Shakiri, these are guys that um, have at least some name recognition. And it's it's not like games are determined based on how many guys can the average fan recognize. Um, but I, I'm not so sure about Costa Rica. Certainly, Serbia is not even in the discussion, and it sucks because you know, kind of coming back to an earlier point that you had made, you know, while it is interesting to see some of these countries that aren't usually in a World Cup and take out, you know, a, a perennial uh, favorite or a team that's, you know, typically seen as being a, a strong international club, like let's say um, an Italy or a Netherlands, you look at a team like Serbia and you just kind of wonder, you know, like, is, is this really what's best for the international game? Is this really going to provide us the best matchups and the best tournament? And, and certainly it, it won't. So we'll have to see. I mean, I, I do think, you know, as long as you've got Kaylor Navas in goal, which Costa Rica does, you have a fighting chance. And while, you know, I mentioned that I don't think that um, Argentina's goalie is going to do anything to necessarily, you know, uh, win them multiple games, Kaylor Navas is good enough to, you know, keep you in matches. And with the Brazil game aside, because I'm going to assume that Brazil sweeps the group and commits massive slaughters uh, as they move through, I've got to think that Nava, that, uh, that the Navas is going to be able to, you know, probably keep you close or or maybe even get you a draw against Switzerland and then you just have to finish the job against Serbia I mean I do see a scenario where Switzerland and Costa Rica finish level on points and then it goes to uh what's the determining factor I guess it's goal differential right so yes I mean at that point um you've just got to hope that you've been able to put it in the back of the net enough that you can move on uh I took Costa Rica out of this group along with Brazil uh, and for those of you keeping score at home, or even if you're alone, uh, I took Argentina and Croatia out of Group D. Costa Rica's CONCACAF qualifying run was unspectacular, but it was super steady. And they're an aggravating team to play against. And they have an irrational amount of confidence. So those factors, compared with Switzerland, who I see as a boring team, 
a probably disinterested team as all things being considered because they know they don't have enough talent or quality to make a deep run. And the potential of getting to the round of 16 for Switzerland is not nearly as exciting for Switzerland as getting to the round of 16 again will be for Costa Rica. So I'm taking the Ticos. Los Ticos. Muy bien. Uh, let's move on to Group F. <sighs> I call this. this one the regularly scheduled group of death. This is absolutely the group of death. This is a group of massive intrigue, and this is a group that ultimately I think is going to draw probably the most eyes and the highest ratings, I would assume, uh, across all of the Fox Sports Networks. And, of, of course, you figure in the uh, Spanish channels like Univision. Uh, what are the such. rankings, Russ? Don't forget the rankings. I'm, oh, don't worry, Phil. I'm, I'm right here. Uh, let's start at the bottom. South Korea, God love you, uh, 57. Um, there's no there's no chance. There's a better chance that Kim Jong-un goes down to South Korea and watches the game in a in a Speedo than there is of South Korea getting out of this group. Sweden at 24 is an interesting group, especially because there had been so much uh, going on around the team about would they bring Zlatan Ibrahimovic for what would be his final World Cup? Do you bring in a guy that did not help you through World Cup qualifying, but you know obviously stands as the best, if not, I don't know, one of the two, three best uh, Swedish players of all time? I'd rank him number one. Um, a, a guy who is a clinical finisher, a guy who obviously brings massive gravity that uh, you know a defense has to pay attention to. But they're going into this tournament with the team that got them through qualification and no Zlatan. Mexico, El Tri, the team that Fox is hoping uh, is going to be able to draw enough ratings, I guess, and enough ad revenue that it's going to make their investment for this World Cup worth it. And of course, Germany, Numa Eins. They're number one at the top of the group. Germany not only is the best team in this group, but I would argue that from this group all the way down through like the U18s, they are probably the deepest in terms of, uh, you know, farm system leading all the way up to the national club. You know, need need we remind anyone that a few years ago, it was what the Euro tournament, I believe they took, uh, I think it was the U22s ended up being their starting lineup and, and they ran right through that tournament. So um, this German team is beyond deep and they left one guy off the roster who I think probably uh, is a little bit upsetting for you to see having been left off. Um, but Germany, I, I would say, if I had to put money down, Germany wins this thing. And I honestly don't think it's going to be close. Um, not only in the group stage, but I, I think they're going to destroy the entire the entire way. They're going to blitz, blitzkrieg their way through. You were referencing Germany's omission of Lee Rosane yep. from Manchester City. Got to hurt a little course, bit. No, I, I'm thrilled. Really? I, they, don't, they don't really need him. And I don't need him wrenching a knee in some garbage uh, group stage match against freaking South Korea or whatnot. Um, it'll motivate Zane. He'll he'll come back uh, better than before, and, and I'm sure he'll play with a chip on his shoulder for the national team at the times he's called up. I'm shocked. But they don't really need him. I'm they shocked. don't really need him. I'm honestly shocked that you're taking that stance. Well, I'm very selfish. As I uh, betrayed earlier, uh, the World Cup is a tournament, and it's a tournament I have a great deal of respect for and some appreciation for, but I'm all in on Manchester City and the Premier League and the club stuff and the Champions League. So for me, as a City supporter, why would I want to see Zane unnecessarily risked in this situation? It's bad enough that half the club are playing in the World Cup. Uh, you know, we're going to get to Belgium in a little bit. Um, so yeah, it's fine with me that Zane is not playing. He'll be okay. I'm, I'm going to tell you why I think it's it's a mistake to not want a man. 
I don't know how Sané fits into uh, City's long-term projection. He's obviously a young player. He's a skilled player. But, you know, in all the weeks that we've talked about, the fact that Pep Guardiola is going to want to tweak this roster, make big acquisitions, um, and is certainly not going to sit back. I do wonder that if Sané had a good World Cup and if Germany won, and, and let's say that he's racking up points left and right as a, you know, a main facilitator in, in this match or in, in, I guess, this tournament, um, I've got to think that, you know, his value isn't going to be much higher than it is right now as both a young stud and as a guy who, you know, would have delivered with one of the best teams, if not the best team in the world at the World Cup. You probably could have gotten a massive transfer fee for him, which isn't something that City needs to worry about. They've got all the money in the world. But I, I, I do think that it's a, a little bit strange. I think it's a, a strange kind of way to look at it. And I think while a lot of these German players, you know, play in the Bundesliga, um, having somebody from the EPL represented on that team uh, would have gone a long way for that league as a whole. It's not like the EPL needs a lot of recognition. Um, but I, I think that any time that you're, be, you're able to say that you've got players from your league playing for whichever team ends up winning the World Cup, um, it, it certainly doesn't hurt. And it doesn't hurt as you're comparing, you know, the different leagues and you're trying to decide, uh, or as a, a casual fan is trying to decide, you know, uh, a team to root for. In this case, it would be City, right, for, with uh, Zane, or, you know, trying to pick which league they're going to watch since so many of these international leagues are now easily and readily available to any consumer through cable TV. So I, I am a little bit surprised, and I think Sané would have benefited a lot. There's no experience like the World Cup, and, um, you know, it, it's not... I, 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 I'm not saying that you're taking the wrong stance on this one, but I am surprised. City aren't selling him, first of all, at least not anytime soon. And again, this was a mistake that Germany made. Guardiola will reinforce that point with Zane many times between now and the beginning of the season and through the season and through the Champions League and all of it. And he'll also say to Zane, Guardiola will, listen, you want to prove how wrong they were to let you leave you off this tournament? Uh, squad and and not take you to the world cup be the best player for us and make your name among the very best and most elite players in the premier league and and then on into the champions league and you know many pieces will be written especially if germany does not win the tournament about the decision to leave him off i don't want to leave group f uh without making this point known um of course uh we've already established that uh, fox sports is Favorite in the World Cup and not favorite to win the tournament, but favorite to follow is El Tri, Mexico. Um, and I know by rankings, the thought process is Mexico is going through. Uh, I'm taking my stand right now, uh, and I'm not trying to anger anybody, and this is not jingoistic. This is just me saying I don't think Mexico is good enough to get out of this group. Even if I thought they were, I wasn't going to pick them, but they're not good enough, and I'll <laughs> go you one better. El Tri is not winning a match in this group. What? Not winning a match in this group. They're going to get beat by Germany, and it's going to be draws or losses to the other two. No, I'm what? actually taking I'm taking South Korea out of this group. Wait, it's what? My, th- this is my Hold wild, on. you know, Wait. strange outcome that nobody expects to happen. When you're saying you're taking South Korea out of the group, you mean like you're, Germany you're like taking them behind South the woodshed Korea. and shooting them. You no, don't no, actually no, no, mean no. that South Korea is going to get out I, of this group. They're going to find their way out. What's their because wh- I think Mexico is wildly overrated and I don't oh think Sweden's god. that good. Oh my god, Phil, what's happening to you? Look, I'm fine to be wrong about this, and we're going to do other shows, and you'll be able to point out if, if South Korea doesn't get a point in this group that I had it all wrong. That's fine, but I don't really think it's that 
huge a limb for me to stand out on because it's not like Mexico or Sweden are going to stuff it up my nose and win this tournament either. I mean, we're really arguing about who's going to be good enough to be cannon fodder in the round of 16 or the round of eight. So I'll take South Korea. I mean, I, I guess what, what's that guy's name from Tottenham? Uh, Sun, Sun Won Ming, right? Did I yes. say that right? Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the fact that he's been playing at, you know, a, a really good club in the EPL, like, I don't know. Maybe he's able to to exploit a back line and, and put the ball in the back. He's of the better net. than anybody Mexico has by a long shot. Yeah. So like, I, I guess maybe in a, in a in a World Cup full of of star studded teams, you know, he's really the biggest star they have. I don't know, Phil. I I think their I, system. I don't think is you're going gonna... to be excellent and exceptional. I think Mexico is going to come unglued. And again, I'm not that sold on Sweden. This whole piece where do we or don't we take Zlatan and eventually they didn't. Yeah, at some level, if if they're in a match and they haven't scored and it's the 80th minute, you're going to have guys looking around at each other on the bench for Sweden the way the Americans were, were looking around on the bench looking for Landon Donovan when they didn't take him four years ago. I don't like the setup for Mexico or Sweden in this tournament. I'm going to take South Korea out of this group. I'm not taking them any further than the round of 16. But that's my real underdog long shot have at it. And by the way, they're only like plus 300 from a betting standpoint. It's not like taking... Uh, Senegal or Tunisia or somebody like that. I mean, this is a legitimate pick we're making here. That's a lot, Phil. I I don't know if I can get behind you on it, but uh, I appreciate the uh, the creativity that went into uh, to making sense of that. Uh, let's move on to Group G. Group G is going to be interesting. Um, a team, I, I guess, one of the teams that's, that headlines it, one that people expect to go through Belgium. Um, you know, the, at least through the last World Cup uh, in 2014, they were obviously the team that knocked the U.S. men's national team out of the World Cup. They were a team that a lot of pundits were saying was the dark horse to win the 2014 World Cup. And and to some extent, you know, they're a favorite once again, although the dark horse status that they made it, might have had a few years ago, they certainly do not have now. Belgium comes into this group third in the world, England at number 12, Tunisia 21, and Panama 55. Panama, very safe to say, does not belong in this tournament. Adios, arrivederci. Tunisia is interesting insofar as they're number 21 in the world. And Tunisia is not a team that I have seen much film on. It's not a team that I have watched much through qualification. But just by virtue of them being a top 20 club, or top 21 club, um, you've got to think that they have some talent on that roster. England is going to be interesting, right? Because when's the last time England got out of the group stage? I'm going to look this up. I should have known this. I should have done my research on this. But England, for as much as I kind of railed on France for not being able to put it together with a lot of talent, England is a team that almost equally, uh, I think probably more through media pressure, has been an underachiever for years and is a team that, you know, you want to talk about Mexico coming unglued. I mean, if if England loses their first game or if England falls behind, you know, in, in two games, uh, I don't know if these three lions end up becoming much more than three little kitty cats on their on their way out on a nice little meow as Tunisia goes through. Um, where where do you see uh, England being able to finish in this table within this group? And do you think they're going to be able to exercise some of their past demons? Yes, I do. England comes second out of this group. Belgium is the most loaded team in this group, and they're going to win the group. I mean, look at look at Belgium. Okay, Kevin De Bruyne, Ed Nazar, Romelu Lukaku, Jan Vertonghen. Thibaut Courtois, I mean, again, it's essentially the European version of Brazil. It's an all-star team. Um, and, you know, you mentioned that they knocked the uh, Americans out of the last World Cup uh, before uh, not going on to win the tournament, Belgium, that is. 
But Belgium should have beaten the Americans like 12 to nothing. <laughs> Tim Howard made a whole bunch of saves and was plastic man for the better part of 100 minutes. Um, Belgium has the potential to hang some numbers on some people in this tournament, and I think that's what's going to happen. But returning to England, it's a lot of addition by subtraction for England. They're not dealing with the ghost of Wayne Rooney anymore. They're not dealing with Gerrard. They're not dealing with Lamps. You know, this is the new young group. Harry Kane, Raheem Sterling, Deli Ali. Uh, this is these are guys who can exercise a lot of demons and kind of reset who England are interna- in international football if they go and have a good World Cup. And again, England's expectations aren't to win it or even to finish in the semifinals. But if they get out of this group and win the round of 16 match and get to a quarterfinal, that's a turning point. I think England's primary problem is goal. I mean, Jack Butland does not inspire me. There's some real Loris Carius potential for Jack Butlin in this tournament. <laughs> and But for their not great goalkeeping situation, I think England would be a much stronger contender to go further, further in this tournament. So England, I, I think... Um, I'm having a really hard time with them. And I think I'm, I, I think I'm just kind of weighing all of the media frenzy um, uh, around this club... And knowing that, you know, Harry Kane is is Mr. England. And, you know, if, if God forbid something happened to Harry Kane, if he tweaked an ankle early, uh, I, I keep coming back around to, I guess, this awful scenario for them. But if I think if one thing goes wrong for England, I, I could just as easily see this team collapsing. And so much of it really depends on Harry Kane. Now, luckily, Raheem Sterling had a good year for City. Um, and... And he's, he's a guy that I think over the last few years has faced plenty of adversity. And, and so I think overall as a team, they're probably stronger for it. They're a mentally fortified team, uh, more so than they were even four years ago. But all that said, you know, when, when you mention the fact that their keeper has Laureus uh, Carius potential, uh, that is a, a massive red flag. And I think everybody who listens to this show probably knows this. But if again, if you are a casual fan to the sport and you didn't watch the Champions League final... Uh, Loris Carius was uh, Liverpool's goalkeeper who committed two massively stupid blunders for a uh, uh, keeper, and and it really resulted in Real Madrid going on to win their third consecutive Champions League final. And you know, Carius kind of looks like he might be on his way out at Liverpool. Um, you wonder if if uh, you know some things go wrong, if if the defense breaks down a little bit, and uh, and Butland gives up a couple early goals. Um, I, I just don't know if they're mentally strong enough yet. I think they're a tougher team overall than they, they were a few years ago, but I, I'm just not so sure. I, I, I certainly think England, agree with you. England and France both go into the, you have to prove it to me. You have to prove that you're able to put it all together and to not fold uh, before I'm going to believe in you. I certainly agree with you that the goalkeeping situation for England, as I pointed out and you concur with, is a major red flag. But to say that, well, if Harry Kane tweaks an ankle or wrenches a knee, then the whole thing falls apart. Let's be honest. You can say that about, like... 26 nations in this tournament that if one guy gets hurt, they're done. Yeah, but I think it's about to talk about Sadio Mane for Senegal. Well, if he gets hurt, they're done. If Mo Salah can't play at all, Egypt is done. Like, whatever. Yeah, but I think it's different for England because, again, you know, while while we know that for an Egypt, for example, right, if they lose Salah, we know they're screwed. There's there's no coming back from it, right? Because they they just don't have the talent uh, around, uh, around, um, around him in that case England is different because they still have some star power but if they fall apart and like yeah one injury you know while it shouldn't matter because of the amount of talent they have 
one injury and one underperformance are they away from you know the media just heaping it on and and it's not something where Egypt goes into this tournament figuring to be a favorite or even you know figuring to be a team that could really advance far in this tournament England is the opposite England is a team that you know regardless of what their ranking is in the world every single World Cup cycle English fans and English media demand the best and they demand that this team goes on to win a World Cup even though they really haven't deserved to be any kind of a favorite in the last few World Cup cycles so I think you know, the, the reason that it's so different is not only because of the star power, but it's all the pressure. It's all the off-field pressure that these players are going to find themselves on. And yeah, that's why I think it's a little bit different. You know, it's one thing for Salah to go out and, and for everyone to know that it's over. But for England, they're going to continue to believe that these other guys should step up, and maybe they should. But I just don't know if these guys are capable of going out and actually executing. Again, that's why, to me, they just have to prove it. And if they can, if they overcome an injury, if they under, if they overcome a poor first performance when all of the pressure has kind of fallen onto their shoulders and they're able to not only shoulder that pressure but throw it back off and advance or, you know, knock out Belgium. Like, imagine, Phil. Imagine what would happen with the English media if England were to lose to, like, a Panama or a Tunisia, but then they face Belgium and they, they lay the smack down. They walk out with three points against Belgium. Just imagine what that would do for not only for their mental standing, but for that club, you know, from an international perspective. I mean, that would be massive for them. It would be generationally uh, influential. This is the point I was making a moment ago, which now you've uh, effectively parroted. So thanks for that. This England national team has a chance to reset what our understanding and what our expectations are for them. And it's a group of guys who don't have the stink of failure all over them, like some of the guys I talked about already. You are also wildly underselling Jamie Vardy. If Kane gets hurt, Vardy is a more than adequate uh, replacement. And Vardy can run and run and run. And he's super durable. So I don't think this is a club where if Harry Kane gets hurt, they fall apart. I think they have enough talent to withstand an injury here or a bad performance there. They're getting out of this group. I would take them as far as the last eight. And that would be a remarkable achievement and would set them up for future World Cups to go deeper. Don't ever blaspheme at me again, ever again, with the name Jamie Vardy. Jamie Vardy is one of the most overrated players in his generation in these last like three or four years. He is not a good player. I will wow. stand I will stand by the fact that a, a, f a mere few years ago, he was scrubbing toilets practically in what was it third division England? No, no, I'm not. I'm not a big Jamie Vardy believer. In a seven-game tournament, or for I don't believe. It would probably I'm, be a four-game tournament. He would do an adequate job. By the way, I don't mean that at all. He is a good player. He's in good form. Uh, I just, I just wanted to see if I could, if I could troll you one last time, Phil. I just needed to know if, uh, if I'd get a real rise out of you, and it was unsuccessful. Uh, much Jamie like Vardy can't hear you because he's got his uh, Premier League title. Uh, ring in his one ear the one you're speaking into in his one ear what yeah, happened only, to the other one, one once what happened to the once. other one Tyson I was bite going it off? for the like, <laughs> I was going for the oh because uh, he does my favorite Patrick Waugh my favorite Patrick Waugh comment the, the former goalkeeper for the Montreal Canadiens who uh, upon a media member uh, talking about somebody having uh, slagged Waugh or, or otherwise disrespected him Wah just looked at the media member and said, I can't hear what he's saying because all my Stanley Cup rings are in my ears. <laughs> and that was one of my favorite comments. Now, of course, Vardy only won one, so it doesn't really carry as far. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, it was, it was a good try, Phil. It was a, good, it was a good, uh, good moment for all of us to learn from. Patrick Wah. He's better than you think he is, Vardy. That's all I can No, say. I don't think Vardy's bad. I was, I was just 
trying to get a little bit of fire out of you, Phil. Just a little bit. Because we're going into this last group, Poland, Senegal, Colombia, Japan, uh, Group H. Really not anything of note. Um, Poland's number eight, Colombia 16, Senegal 27, and Japan. Japan, number 61. You could probably make an argument at this point that the Japanese uh, women's national team is better uh, on the pitch than this men's team is. At least Japan's women's national team is uh, usually a top two, top five squad in the world. 61. I mean, you. somebody try to rationalize to me how in a field of 32 teams, the 61st best team in the world belongs in this tournament. They just don't. They do not belong here. And even in an expanded field in 2026, which we'll be talking about in a little bit, uh, when that goes out to 48 teams, 61 doesn't even sniff that. That's a disgrace. What is Japan doing here? Why? Why are they here, Phil? Please make sense of it because it certainly doesn't make any sense to me. Well, if you really want to get into it, Russ, I mean, we talked about this earlier about why FIFA would explain how it is that some of these teams make the tournament when maybe on paper they shouldn't. What they're going to say, first of all, is that they want a global presence. And obviously, uh, Japan represents that part of the world in a way that taking another South American team or another European team won't. But let's also follow the money here, right? I mean, Japan is still an international monetary power. Can we agree on that? For sure. So isn't FIFA served by having Japan in the draw, even if they're not very good? Far more so than, again, the ninth best South American team or even the 15th or 16th best European team, right? I mean, those nations that I'm, and I'm not naming them specifically because I'm not trying to disrespect anybody in particular. I'm just making a broader point, which is having Japan in the tournament brings uh, eyeballs to the, the TV sets and people to the matches that some of these other nations can't provide. So FIFA would not want to admit that there's a monetary uh, bias toward a nation like Japan. But if you don't think that's part of the reason why they're here, I don't think you're paying attention. I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but isn't it insane that between South Korea and Japan, okay, so, you know, we can make the case that in the past, South Korea's hosted a World Cup. Um, was that a joint bid? I'm, I'm trying to remember. It was, was it 2000, was 2002? It's a very I, long time ago. It, it was a long time ago. I forget if that was a, a joint bid between Japan and South Korea, if it was just South Korea. Um, I've got, I actually have that game for uh, GameCube. Nintendo GameCube, uh, the 2002 World Cup uh, game. A lot of fun. Um, used to be able to slide tackle into the goalie and get a red card, which they've since uh, gotten rid of in most FIFA games. Uh, I just remember going down to like eight players in those games and trying to, uh, you know, conquer the world at that point. With uh, It was, in fact, a joint Korea and Japan, okay. South Korea and Japan World Cup in 2002. So, you know, I, I guess to some extent, I guess I can understand it. Uh, and, and I can understand the... It's not like FIFA is influencing this uh, in any way of making sure that Japan and South Korea are there. But I guess, you know, based on past performance, based on the fact that they've hosted a World Cup in the past, there's certainly some kind of tradition uh, with soccer in those nations. Isn't it weird, though? Like, in I don't want this to come off the wrong way. I'm afraid it's going to come off the wrong way. Tread carefully. You've got You've got two countries in Asia that represent, I think, combined more than half of the world's population in India and China. How is it possible that neither of those countries are able to field a team that can that can you know compete or take down a South Korea that certainly doesn't have nearly as many people? Like I I, I guess you know numbers. There's not strength in numbers in that scenario. But like, 
if you've got at least a billion people, you can't field a team of uh, like a starting 11 that can take out a South Korean squad. I just find it hard to believe. I find it a little bit, you know, insane. I mean, we talk about in the U.S. that we have a hard enough time convincing our best athletes to play soccer, you know, over a sport that's, you know, so uh, held in such high regard, like football had been, although they, you know, because of concussions, that's kind of gone out the window. Baseball with all the guaranteed money, basketball is so big in the country. Even hockey, to some extent, has taken a lot of, of good athletes away. We always talk about, like, how, how do you find a starting 11 that's, you know, good enough, athletic enough, and, and we have how many hundreds of million people in this country, but my God, like, such a higher population, and, and you can't field a team that's got 11 or or 18 players or whatever that can that can beat South Korea, I I, I just find it kind of crazy. Listen, sociologists have studied this sort of question many times. Books have been written. We could literally do five hours of podcast analyzing this question you've brought up. But it's as simple to me as when the Pittsburgh Pirates went to India two years ago and basically took the same tack, which was, you know, in a in a nation of this size with this many people, we're probably just missing talent that we're, we're not seeing because we don't make the effort to find it. And what they found out was that's not really true. That talent is not there for many reasons, socioeconomic reasons, um, choice of sport reasons. Um, frankly, you know, the, the crushing poverty in most of India is going to, you know, foreclose or preclude a lot of people from seriously considering trying to play soccer when they're just trying to survive. Um, yeah, I don't think it's as easy as, well, you have a billion people or 2 billion people or 800 million people, and therefore 11 of them are going to be better than the 11 that England can put out. It's not that simple, and it's the old story. that The proof is that those nations are never represented in the World Cup. If they could do it, they would. Yeah, I, I guess the thing that I'm trying to get at here is, you know, I wouldn't expect them to be able to compete with European squads. But when you're looking at these you know fifa ranking numbers again it's not like these are the be all end all but when you're looking at teams that are ranked like 57th and 61st in the world you're certainly not looking to like break through the glass ceiling you're looking to just be able to survive long enough and qualify with enough matches and enough points to be able to sneak your way into a world cup i certainly would not expect them to be able to go out and you know like win the whole thing or even get out of the group stage but it's just a little bit crazy to me when you think about the just the sheer volume of people and kind of to your point about poverty, you know, I, I guess in a lot of ways, you know, you could make kind of the opposite case uh, with a lot of South American countries, right? Like the reason that, um, you know, the the culture in the U.S., the soccer culture is so different from the rest of the world is because so much of what the American game is, and you and I have talked about this a lot, you know, it it's it's kind of an entitlement sport at this point in the U.S., right? And like it's a broken system. It's it's so much money to get a kid to be able to play at a club level that's elite enough to, you know, get onto the radar of, you know, a scouting team and, and to, you know, get to become part of the national team program, even with as many um, development teams as they have nationwide. You know, the the opposite is is kind of true in, in a lot of these South American countries and, and heck, in a lot of countries worldwide. You know, poverty isn't the thing that precludes you from becoming you know, a, a legitimate player or, or getting caught on the national radar. I mean, a lot of these guys, I would assume, that are playing for like a Peru for a Panama, they weren't just growing up in entitled households. They they were probably, a lot of them, um, playing a game that they loved and, you know, they were good enough that they were able to kind of raise through the ranks. It's almost yeah, impossible. Yeah, that's and, the point, isn't it? That's the yeah. point, isn't it? Culturally, soccer has been very important to South America for decades. Culturally, soccer hasn't been important in India forever. 
Culturally, yeah. soccer hasn't been important in China forever. Culturally, soccer hasn't been important in the United States of America for a very long time. Because if it had been, I think we'd be a little better at it and we might be in this tournament. I'm, again, I'm not getting uh, enervated or aggravated. I'm also being very cautious not to sound too ignorant <laughs> making these points because I am not a sociologist. Uh, I'm not as educated in the cultural um, nuance as I probably should be to be opining on this topic. All I would say, though, is that, yeah, uh, impoverished kids in, in South America have risen through the ranks and become multi-multi-millionaires playing soccer. But it's because that sport has been the dominant sport in South America for a very long time. Um, you know, they play a lot of cricket in India, from what I understand. Yeah, that's fair. The, the, the Chinese pour all of their resources in Olympic sports. They dominate in Olympic sports routinely. And yeah, soccer is an Olympic sport, but I don't think they see it that way. So it, it comes down to socioeconomic reasons, cultural reasons, and governmental reasons. And, you know, what do the governments of those countries value? I would argue that neither China nor India have placed significant value on fielding a World Cup side. And I would agree with you this far. If either of those nations decided to pour the resources into it, they'd be much better than they are. Agreed. So let's kind of come back to Group H, since I took us way down a rabbit hole that had nothing to do pretty much with the World Cup. Uh, and made po- me sound like an ignorant person in the process. Thank yeah, you well, you know what? Time for us to go pursue an anthropology degree, right? Um Let's kind of, I guess, go over this group uh, quickly. So Poland, I think, is going to be able to ride on the back of uh, Robert Lewandowski. I think he's going to be able to score enough to get them through the group stage. Senegal will be interesting because of Sadio Mane. Um, They might be able to get through, although I would probably give the nod to uh, World Cup darling Hamas Rodriguez and his Colombian side. Uh, If if I were a betting man, which I'm not, I'd probably go Poland and and Colombia here. Uh, Senegal, just by virtue of Mane having uh, been in, in very good form uh, and and making it to the Champions League final, playing games that were meaningful up until a few weeks ago, uh, I do think Senegal might have a chance. Uh, it, a lot of it really will depend, and I think for Colombia it'll be the same. I think for both of those teams it's going to matter. Can you knock out Japan and get three points, and how do you fare against Poland? If either of these teams are able to either upset Poland or even walk out of there with a draw while the other one you know, loses out on getting any points, then obviously that's going to change the balance of power in that group. But um, I, I would go with Colombia and Poland. What, what are your... What, well, that's who things? I took. Okay, I took so. Colombia and Poland. I took Belgium and, Belgium and England in Group G, obviously. Um, my concern with Senegal and with Mane is this. Mane is not the best player on his own team. And it's just asking a lot for him to go from looking as good as he looked for Liverpool this past season when he's playing with Mo Salah and Firmino and all of the attacking talent that Liverpool boasted in the Premier League to essentially lift Mane out of that Liverpool side and now place him with players who are not nearly as good as he is. I know I said that Salah can do it with Egypt, but I think Egypt's better across the board than Senegal is. So, And on top of that, I think Poland uh, is better than the Drek that's in Egypt's group. Uh, So... I'm going to take Poland and Colombia. I'm going to trust Lewandowski, who I've been lukewarm about in the past on this show. But I think in this World Cup, he's going to, to prove his talent and uh, carry his side into the final 16. And uh, that's where I'm going with this. So to recap all of the groups, I think we both took Egypt and Uruguay in Group A. Correct? Yes, that's correct. Portugal and Spain in Group B. Yes. Uh, I took France and Peru in Group C. You took France and Denmark? Correct. Okay, Group D, 
Um, I would go with Argentina and Croatia. Agreed. Group E, Brazil. And I said Switzerland. You said Costa Rica. That is correct. Group F, we both agree about Germany. I would say Germany and by the skin of their teeth, Mexico. You said Germany and South Korea. And I also mentioned that Mexico won't win a match in this group. Yep. So we're going to have to come back. Group F is going to either be a big F you to me or a big F you to you. Um, Group G, I believe we both think it's going to be Belgium and England. Pretty comfortably. Group H, obviously, um, I I would go with uh, Poland and Colombia. And you said the same. So I did. We have a little bit of difference in a couple of these groups. Um, group F probably being the, uh, the one that would catch the headlines. Um, so, well, this is the point I made earlier. Unfortunately, because there's so many substandard teams in this tournament, you end up in a situation where they're all going to get blasted in these group stages. Now, look, will one of them slide through? I'm saying it's South Korea, but it could just as easily be Senegal. It could just as easily, uh, be somebody like Iceland could slide through. I mean, I don't expect them to, but it's not out of the question, but because there's so many bad teams, the chalk is significant. Like, the favorites are heavy. Nobody's going to threaten Brazil. Nobody's going to threaten Belgium. Uh, Nobody's going to threaten France. So, you know, you end up in these situations where it's either two clubs fighting for one spot in these groups, or it's two uh, nations, I should say, two nations in these groups who are such prohibitive favorites, it's going to take something really strange for them not to get out. So... Look, we'll all enjoy the group stage, especially the first uh, match day, the first set of matches, because it's new and it's exciting. I don't think there's going to be a lot to talk about on match day three in the group stage, but um, we'll see if they prove me wrong. So uh, real quick before we go, we've alluded to this multiple times, but uh, the the unified bid from the United States, Canada, and Mexico uh, did in fact win. It, I think it was a closer vote than I expected, to be honest. Um they're going to be hosting the 2026 World Cup. Of course, uh, 2022 is, is currently scheduled to be in Qatar, although I think that between human rights violations and just the fact that eventually somebody's going to have enough wherewithal to realize that uh, if the air conditioning ever breaks, uh, not only will that World Cup probably be played in the winter, um, but it is uh, possible that because of you know whatever political implications might exist, uh, that 2022 World Cup uh, it's still four years away, and anything can could change. Anything can happen, including uh, I think it had been England and France before had kind of thrown their names in as a possible alternative location if things were to uh, to kind of fall through with Qatar. But yeah, 2026, the unified bid was successful. A lot of lot of nations uh, ended up voting for uh, Morocco, including North Korea. Good God, we just had a summit. How how is it possible that before Trump even lands in D.C., North Korea stabbed the United States in the back and voted for Morocco? Can you believe it? How many times have I told you that we don't skew political on this podcast? No, I know. I know. I saw that on Twitter, and I thought it was a little bit funny. Um, by the way, uh, now now I think it's pretty safe to say uh, one of the other things that I think we had, we had discussed uh, tentatively is that Ernie Stewart was officially named the uh, U.S. Men's National Team General Manager, a new position that was created by the U.S. Uh, Soccer Federation. And um, somebody I saw pointed out on Twitter very uh, intelligently that since Ernie Stewart was brought on board, uh, the United States were awarded a World Cup. So he's already off to a good start. Well, and the other piece that I saw on Twitter, and of course we don't want to attribute any of these things because why would we give anybody any credit but ourselves? Um, but with uh, 
the World Cup coming to the United States in 2026, along with Canada and with Mexico. But for the United States, it has a special meaning. That's going to be America's 250th birthday. Now, I was alive for the bicentennial. I don't think you were. Uh, but it's wild to think that you could have a World Cup match in Philadelphia in 2026. And wouldn't it be something if it were the Americans and the English playing Whoa. in Philadelphia I like it. in 2026? That could be very enjoyable, and I would expect Christian Pulisic to score six times. So if I yeah, so if I remember correctly, uh, that'll be the second time that the U.S. have at least in part hosted a World Cup. Uh, I believe Mexico has now set the record. That'll be their third time hosting the most in uh, global history in terms of uh, hosting a World Cup. So it will be interesting. And you know, now that the tournament is going to expand to uh, 48, yeah, 48 teams. I think they said the the amount of matches is going to go from 64 up to 80 or something like that. So, um, you know, while in the past the question had been raised about the unified bid and like how are you going to divvy up these games appropriately between Mexico and Canada and the U.S., uh, there was a rumor already floating out that the final for that tournament will be played at MetLife Stadium in New York City. Well, not really New York City. It's played in Jersey, but, you know, they consider that New York City, I guess. Um, I'm not sure if that's been finalized yet. Um, Wouldn't it be interesting if uh, the final ended up being played at like the Estadio Azteca in Mexico? I know they won't do it. There's almost no chance whatsoever of it happening. You would think that the U.S. would not have gone into this bid if it were not for the fact that uh, they were going to host the final. But the Estadio Azteca would be one heck of a place to uh, finish a World Cup. I guess we'll have to see as the details kind of leak out here. Um, what the setup is going to look like, but that's eight long years from now, and we have a World Cup right in our face. Of course, our team isn't there, and a lot of teams that people may have traditionally rooted for are not in this World Cup, but there's still plenty of intrigue, and uh, hopefully for those who have listened, uh, we've provided enough insight to kind of give people an idea of what to expect in this group stage. And look, as for the question of hosting a World Cup final at Stadio Azteca, no disrespect, again, intended to everybody. That's my disclaimer. Uh, but I think if FIFA is being honest with us, which is often a challenge for them, but if you asked FIFA what makes more sense, hosting the World Cup final at MetLife Stadium or the Azteca, they're going to take MetLife Stadium just about every time because logistically it's just easier. I don't know how else to put it. Yep. Um, all right, so I, I guess that wraps up. For now, uh, again, we do plan on doing a few episodes uh, more frequently, so make sure that you, if you haven't subscribed to the show already, that you subscribe in either iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, so that whenever we put a show out, if it happens to be on a day that we typically don't put out, usually we would post a show for Saturday, although that has changed since uh, the EPL season and a lot of these other domestic leagues have kind of wrapped up. you know, we are going to keep putting shows out and it probably won't be on as regular of a cycle. It'll be more frequent, but, um, you know, we'll announce them on Twitter. So if you're not following us already, make sure that you follow us on Twitter. Phil is at Phil Kydell. That's Phil K E I D E L. It's not hard to spell. It's Phil Kydell. And, uh, I'm Russ joy at joy on broad. Um, don't forget, not only should you subscribe to the podcast and hopefully do that through whichever podcast app you listen to, if you can, Sneak onto a device that has uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star rating and a five-star review. Uh, they are massively helpful as we kind of work our way up rankings and kind of work our way into becoming more visible in uh, you know soccer lists. Um, so make sure that you get on over to you know that app or to the iTunes uh, 
desktop or laptop or whatever app and leave a five-star review and a rating. If you leave a five-star rating, we'll read it on the next show. Um, until, I, I don't before know. Before you sign off, Whoa. before you sign off, very quickly, you're taking Germany. So oh, yeah. All the way. Germany. No, totally. All right. I'm taking, an, I'm taking an entry. I'm taking Brazil, but I'm having Belgium as a rider. So you're kind of hedging is what you're saying. I'm totally hedging. Yes. Yeah. Are you new here? This is what I do. I'm just trying to think of if I if I had to put money on a team other than Germany right now, Spain would have probably gotten some money. But I, man, them firing firing your manager two days before the World Cup is not a, a good strategy. I don't think Brazil can pull it off. Real Madrid wasn't satisfied with winning the Champions League for a third year in a row. They had to they had to upstage the national cut, team. Yeah, yeah. Cut the Achilles tendon of the national team on the way out the door. That's awesome. All right. So if you're going to take two teams, I'm going to pick Germany, and then I'm going to wait a couple matches to see uh, if there's any. I'm going to try to pick a dark horse. I just don't have that team yet. I don't know who that team is going to be. Uh, Croatia, I don't think has enough firepower. I'm going to have to think this one through. But are you I, saying Spain was your dark horse? No, no, no. I, I was saying like they were obviously going to be a favorite. Now that they're kind of hitting the skids uh, going into this, I'm, maybe they should be a dark horse for you now. Maybe you could. Maybe they're you could not take really them now though. They, they have too much talent to be horse. a dark horse now. Uh, okay. The real question is if uh, Ronaldo, nah, he doesn't have enough talent around him. Just imagine if Ronaldo hoists the uh, the World Cup trophy. Let's if, not. Let's not. As insufferable that. as I've always been, just imagine how much more insufferable I could possibly get. I'm times 15 you said that yeah yeah i don't know all right i'm going to come up with another team for uh, our next episode so until we put out another episode coming soon uh world cup starts thursday morning uh the match is russia and saudi arabia um what's your what's your prediction phil put a score oh, russia out there wins that match russia wins that match two nil i think uh russia wins uh two nesting dolls to one angry vladimir putin stare so russia is victorious two one uh, until the next episode, that's Phil at Phil Kaidel. I'm Russ at Joy on Broad. We'll talk to you again soon.